So, we join again the Rashi Shir coming to you from the Mizrahi Bet Midrash of Melbourne, Australia. And we meet when our brothers and sisters in Israel are under fire, literally. And it is a very trying and difficult time for the Jewish people around the world, and particularly for those in Israel. But right now, perhaps one of the best things we can do is learn Torah, and that's what we're going to do. So, we'll start with a little Rashi of the week from this week's parasha of Kedoshim. Sorry for those listening in Israel, it's last week's parasha, but it's still good. And Rashi says at the very end, on the words, Va'avdil etchem min ha'amim lihiyot li. So after we've gone through a whole list of laws, basically the whole of Sedra Kadoshim, which, first of all, Perak Yutet is, is a whole miscellany of laws relating to different aspects of human life. And then Pasuk Kaf is more particularly about forbidden sexual relations. The last Pasuk says, well, the penultimate passage of the, of the Sedra says, I will separate you from the peoples to be for me. And Rashi there brings two possibilities, and we'll just deal with the second one. And he says, in the name of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, Minayin shalo yamar adam nafshi chazir. From where do we know that a person should not say, my soul is repulsed, repulsed by pig meat? or I don't want to wear shatnitz clothes, you shouldn't say that. But what you should say is, yes, I want to. I want to do those two things that were mentioned. But what can I do? My father in heaven has decreed, against, uh, decreed on me that I shouldn't do those things. How do we know that? The Pasuk says, I separate you from the peoples to be for me. That your separation from them should be for my sake. So just a couple of things to say. First of all, this is an amazing idea that Rashi, which is quoting Chazal from Torah Kanim, is saying we should keep mitzvot not because we want to, uh, in other words, not because we enjoy them, which we may well do so, but we should keep mitzvot because Hashem has decreed them upon us. And it goes so far, and I'm quoting literally, one should not say, oh, I can't think of anything worse than a McDonald's hamburger. One should say, oh, it sounds quite a nice idea, but I cannot eat it simply because my Father in Heaven has decreed upon me. So that's the first thing. That's the simple message of Rashi. It's a very, very important message. The second thing is, Rashi quotes two examples. What were those two examples? Not eating pig meat and not wearing shutness clothes. Now, what's significant about those two examples? Why did he choose those two examples? Why did Chazal, whom he's quoting, choose those two examples? They're chukim. They're chukim. Exactly right. They are mitzvot which we can't understand. Now, by the way, it's interesting that eat, not eating pig is definitely a chuk. It's, it's, it's a little bit funny in a peculiar sense because in this day and age, a lot of people say, oh, it was invented because of um, understanding of health and uh, hygiene and pigs are dirty. They're not dirty. And that's not a reason why Jews aren't allowed to eat pigs. Uh, even though some people want to suggest that. Jews aren't allowed to eat pigs because the Torah says so. It's a chok. We don't understand why. And Kalayim, Shatnas, is also a, um, a fine example of a chok. So the Maharal says those mitzvot are highlighted because we should appreciate that the Torah itself is from Hashem's wisdom and not from our wisdom. And I think he would say that applies to the whole Torah, but these two mitzvot exemplify that. The Rambam in Shemona Prokim in his uh, introduction to Pirkei Avot, um, says something a bit different. 
he says, Chazal deliberately chose examples of Chukim, because if somebody took a different type of mitzvah, that's like a mitzvah which is obvious for the reason, the reason why we have to keep the mitzvah is obvious. Let's say the mitzvah of don't murder. And somebody said, I really would like to murder, but I'm not going to because my Father in Heaven has decreed upon me. Now, nobody would do that, because if somebody said, I'd like to murder, then either we'd assume they're mentally um, ill, or even if they're not, we would say, you definitely have to be put away, and we definitely have to stop you, because of the smooth running of society. So the Rambam makes a distinction between those mitzvot, not the ones that Rashi mentions, that we keep because they're obvious that we have to keep them. There's no doubt that we have to keep the mitzvot of not stealing, of not killing, etc. But these ones, there'll be a different issue. These ones, people might say, ah, because they don't affect the smooth running of society, maybe I don't have to keep them. Maybe I can make my own choice. But no, these are the ones that Dafka, you have to keep, and you have to keep for the reason that my Father in Heaven has decreed upon me. And finally, i just like to say that People sometimes say, you know, I'm okay with keeping the mitzvot I understand. But the mitzvot, or even just the details of a halakha that I don't understand, there I'm not so keen on keeping. And until you, Mr. Rabbi, explain it to me in a way that makes sense to me, then I don't feel myself bound to keep them. Now, that's an understandable position, but it's absolutely contrary to what Chazal are telling us. We keep the mitzvot, not just the ones that we understand, But our real serving Hashem is by keeping the ones that we don't understand. And if somebody who perhaps is a different perspective or a lower level of learning wants to say that I'll only keep the mitzvot that I do understand, they're not actually serving Hashem. They are serving themselves. They're using themselves as the ultimate moral arbiter. The point of this Rashi and the message of Chazal is dafka in relation to those that we cannot understand and we can never understand. Those are the ones that really demonstrate our service of Hashem Yudbarach. Okay, let's get back to Bereshit. So, as I promised in the WhatsApp message today, we're going to concentrate on Perak Gimel Pasuk Tet. So, what's happened so far? The story so far is humankind was created. That's, that's quite a big thing. The world, the universe was created. But we're now zeroing in on the fact that they were told not to eat from the eights hadat. And they did, under the suggestive influence of the nachash, of the snake. And they realized they were a rumim, which Rashi said in Pasuk Zion, refers to the fact that they were not literally naked, although that was something they realized as well. But Rashi says it meant they realized they were naked of mitzvot. But we know they realized they were physically naked as well because they made coverings coverings for themselves, fig leaves for themselves. Anyway, and then they heard the voice of Hashem walking in the garden. We talked about that. And as a consequence of hearing the voice of Hashem walking in the garden, Adam and his wife hid. And now we come to Pasuk Tet. And it says, Vayikra Hashem Elokim El Ha'adam. God, Hashem God, called to the man, Vayom Elo, and he said to him, Ayeka. Ayeka. One word. And one can make a whole heap of drashot on this one word. God asked Adam where he is. And I'll just mention very briefly that it's an appropriate question that we should all ask ourselves on a regular basis. Where are we? And whom are we hiding from? And what are we hiding from? Anyway, that's the question that God asked. Now, there's an obvious problem with God asking a question. What's the obvious problem? He knows everything. He, know, he knows the answer because he is 
Fancy long word here? Omnipresent. No, not omnipresent. Omniscient. Omnipresent means he everywhere. is everywhere. Yeah. Omniscient means he knows everything. Okay. And omnipotent means he's very powerful. But anyway, omniscient is the answer. So, why is he asking a question when we know for sure he knows the answer? So, what does Rashi say? So, let's look at Rashi on Pasuk Tet. He says, He knew where he was. Hashem knew where Adam was. Eila, and that, that's the question that we're asking. It's the question that Rashi has to answer. Eila likanes imo b'davarim. To enter with him with words, which I would paraphrase as to start a little chat, to have a conversation. <laughs> so he would not be too surprised to do teshuva <laughs> if he were to punish him immediately. So that's the first point. That's the starting point of Rashi. Number one, Rashi tells us what the problem is. Or, or removes the question that might be in our minds. Maybe we would read this and think Hashem is lacking in knowledge. So either to reassure us that's not the case, or just to spell out what the question is, Rashi starts by saying, He knew where he was. So why, therefore, did Hashem ask the question? So the first part of the answer is to enter with him with words, which I paraphrase as to start a conversation. Why does he want to start a conversation with him when really his main point is to tell him off for eating from the tree? So the answer is, So he will not be too surprised to do teshuva or to answer either if Hashem punishes him uh, immediately. Now, Rashi wants to adduce further evidence for this position, or he wants to just compare, it's a dispute about what Rashi's doing here, but he brings three other examples of a similar thing. V'chein b'kain, and so we see with Cain, so Cain uh, had a little bit of a fraternal tiff with his brother, uh, killed him, and Hashem Omar Lo, Hashem said to him, A Hevel Achicha. Where is Hevel your brother? That was in Perak Dalapasak Tep. So again, Hashem's asking a question to which Hashem knows the answer. Vachain Babilam. And similarly in the case of Bilam. So Hashem says to Bilam, Miha Anashim Ha'ela Imach. Who are these men with you? And Rashi again says, Likanes imahem b'davarim. To enter with or each of them, in the plural, with words. So in the case of Cain and the case of Bilam, he starts a conversation. V'chein b'chizkiyahu. And there's another example in relation to Chizkiyahu, um, who, as we will see, entertained guests from um, another kingdom. B'shuluche merodach bala'adan the emissaries of Muradach Ba'ala'adan, who was a foreign king, and Yeshaya, who was the prophet of the time, came to Chizkiyahu and said, who are these guys? Who are these people you're entertaining? And then he asked other questions as well. So Rashi gives those three examples. Now, what should we do when Rashi gives three examples from elsewhere in the Chumash? What would be a good thing to do? Look them up. Look them up. And at this point, for your convenience, I have prepared a sheet of sources. If we could pass these around. And for those listening at home, 
you can download this page at bit.ly forward slash rushy3-9. That's bit.ly forward slash rushy, R-A-S-H-I, 3-9. And to save you, I was going to do the kind one inside because you've all got a voracious in front of you, but that wouldn't help with the Billam and it wouldn't help with the uh, Yeshaya. So uh, it's all printed here. So the first uh, one that Rashi quoted after this example of Adam was the example of Kain. So if you look at quote number three on the sheet, which is Bereshit Perak Dalad Pasuk Tet, Vayoma Hashem El Kain. Hashem said to Kain, E Hevel Achicha, where is Hevel your brother? Vayomer. And Kain replied, Lo Yadati, I do not know. And the famous question, Hashomer Achi Anochi, Am I my brother's keeper? What's the answer to that, by the way? Absolutely, Absolutely yes. And who realized that at the end of Bereshit, and towards the end of Bereshit? Kain asked the question at the beginning of Bereshit, and it echoes down the generations. And who realizes it at the end of Bereshit? Well, only at the very end, a little bit before that. Just a little bit before that. Yehuda. What did Yehuda say to Yaakov? He said, let Binyamin go down to Egypt, as Yosef is requiring. The Anochi Erevlo, I will be his guarantor, and you can demand him back from me. That's the answer to Kain's question. Anyway, that's not our matter right now, but it's an interesting idea. What does Rashi say on that one? Let's look at number four on the sheet. Rashi's comment on Bereshit Perak Dalat Pasuk Tet. A Hevel Achicha, where is Hevel your brother? Likanes Imo Bedivre Nachat, to enter with him with words of soft words, nice words. Ulai Yashiv, perhaps he will do Teshuvah, or perhaps he will answer. Ani Haragtiv, I killed him, v'chatati lacha, and I have sinned against you. Now, Kain didn't answer that way, but he answered, Hashom Achi or rather, he said, Lo Yadati, I do not know. Hashom Achi Anochi, am I my brother's keeper? So Hashem's plan, says Rashi, was to enter with him in nice words, Perhaps he will answer truthfully and he will start the teshuva process. Okay, what do you notice about Rashi's comment on Adam in number two here in Gimel Tet and Rashi's comment on Kain in Dalad Tet? He gives a response in the second case with Kain. Who gives the response? Central response. Yep. It should have been given that he didn't give for Adam. He gives a potential response. Um, he said, in the case of Kain, that Rashi spells out what Kain should have done. And in the case of Adam, he doesn't. Anything else? Nachat. He says the words of Nachat, whereas in, in the case of Adam, it's just Bedavarim. He wants to enter with him with words. In the case of Kain, he says they, he wants to enter nice words. Anything else? Well, that, that will do. That will certainly do. And, and we should ask these questions. Why is this a reasonable question to ask? You might say, well, Rashi says this and Rashi says that. Why are we comparing the two? Because Rashi himself compares the two. Because Rashi says that the case of Adam is parallel to the case of Kain. And therefore, when the words of Rashi are not exactly the same, we're entitled to ask why. Now, not a lot of Mephoshim do this, but I remember learning years and years and years ago that this is a question the Chama Leibovitz asks in one of her, kill you not, and in one of her books. Um, and it's a very Nechamalevitz question because she's incredibly sensitive to these very slight changes. She's also um, incredibly sensitive to the wisdom of Rashi and the brilliance of Rashi and why he 
uses one word here and not word there, and that's the sort of thing that she notices. Now, what's frustrating is, in, like a lot of Nahama's stuff, is she asks the question and leaves it to you to work out the answer. So I don't know what answer she would have given, and alas, we can't ask her anymore. But, do you want to give an answer? No. Okay. <laughs> but the Sifteh HaChamim does give an answer. So if you look at number five, he says, and he's commenting on Dalatet, on the words of Kain. He says, perish Rashi And the fact, or, or why doesn't Rashi explain in the same way above, back in the Adam case, Gabe Adam? And the answer is, Yesh Lomar. One can say, Gabe Adam, Lo Lomer, Ulai Yomar Chatati. In the case of Adam, it doesn't make sense to say that Hashem says, perhaps he will say, I have sinned. Sorry, uh, yeah, because he has already confessed. Because he was hidden. And before we get to the Sifta Chamin's second point, which I'm, to be honest, I'm not quite so excited by, what he is saying, and I think this is an important part of the story, is in the case of Cain, Cain was asked a direct question and he lied. And the question should have led him on to say, the question related directly to the sin that he had committed. He killed his brother. So Hashem asked him, where is your brother? And Cain lies in response. We'll get to Bilam and we'll get to Chizkiyahu later. But Adam is very different. Adam's situation is quite different. Adam does not lie. The conversation is different. Hashem doesn't ask him a direct question about the tree. Because effectively, Hashem, he's already acknowledged that he ate from the tree. He doesn't cover it up. Now, he realizes he's naked. He hides. And then, we haven't got to Pasuk Yud yet, but spoiler alert, I'll tell you what Pasuk Yud says. When Hashem asks him, where are you? Adam replies, I hid because I was embarrassed. So he basically answers the question. Unlike Cain, who doesn't answer the question. So the way the Sifter Haman puts it is Hashem doesn't need Adam to confess because he, it's not that there's nothing to confess, but he's effectively already confessed. And there's no debate between Hashem and Adam about did you eat from the tree. That's not a point of contention. What is a point of contention, as we'll see when we get to Pasigur Aleph, is what was Adam's excuse and how he responded when confronted with that reality. But he didn't... Um, lie about it, and he didn't refuse to do teshuva. So yes, he had an excuse, he had a sort of alibi, which we'll get to, but it's completely different from the Kain situation. So with Kain, Rashi says um, that he hoped he would answer, yes, I killed him. But in the case of Adam, he doesn't have to hope for a particular answer. In fact, the answer he gets is more or less what Hashem would have wanted, because Adam doesn't hide anything. I don't know why um, Rashi says nachat, divrei nachat in the case of Kain. If anyone can extrapolate what I'm trying to say, what the Sifter Chama is trying to say, and so how, show how divrei nachat is necessary for the Kain situation and is not necessary for the Adam situation, I'll be interested to hear your views. But let's move on. So the other part of the Sifter Chama continues when he says in the middle of the second line, this is still the Sifter Chama on Dalad Tet, there's another thing you can say, the Adam Sadik Gamor Haya. Adam was a complete tzaddik. Because he was the creation of the hands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is obviously a bit anthropomorphic. What we mean is he was created directly by Hashem with no other intervention. And if he's created directly by Hashem, he must be a tzaddik gamor. 
And certainly he will acknowledge his sin. But it's not the case with Kain. And therefore he had to enter into words with Kain in order that he should do Teshuva, and that comes from the Mahashal. So um, it doesn't, this, this answer doesn't appeal to me quite so much because it's based on an external supposition rather than something inside the text. And the external supposition is, since Adam was created directly by Hashem, he must be a Sadiq Gamor, and therefore there's no doubt he's going to do Teshuva. As I say, I'm, I prefer the first answer. Okay, let's move on. What should we look at next? We should look at Bilam. Thank you. So... Um, the story of Bilam is Balak, king of Moab, is nervous about the Jews coming too close, and he says they're going to uh, um, destroy me like, uh, like a cow licks the grass and leaves nothing in its wake, and he hires Bilam. He sends messengers to Bilam, and, uh, asking Bilam to come and curse the people. And then Hashem appears to Bilam, and in Bermidba, Kafbet, Pasuk Tet, which is number six on your sheet, Vayavo Elokim El Bilam, he comes to, Hashem came to Bilam and he said, who are these people with you? Now, again, Rashi linked this to the, our other examples because what is Hashem doing again, which is sort of ungodlike? Asking a question to which he knows the answer. So why does he do that? So Rashi there in Bamidba Kafbet Pasuk Tet, which is number seven on your sheet, says, to make him make a mistake, he came. Hashem came to make Bilam make a mistake. Omar, Bilam would say as a result of this, Aha, there are times when Hashem doesn't know everything. And literally his mind is not equal on him. There are times when I can exploit his lack of knowledge. So therefore I will be able, I will see a time when I will be able to curse and he will not understand. That's what was the purpose of Hashem asking a question which Hashem knew the answer to. To trick Bilam into a false assumption. Does anyone have a problem with what we've seen in Rashi so far? A question or a problem? <laughs> might be that God's taking away his free choice. Ah, okay, well, we might answer that. That's an interesting point. Um, but we have a bigger problem, if you don't mind. And not so much a philosophical, theological problem, but a simple textual problem. Because what did Rashi say in Gimel Tet? What did Rashi say about Bilam in his comment on Adam? He said he went to enter a conversation with him. Now, it's hard to do this without giving away a possible answer. He doesn't say, if you look very carefully in the original Rashi, that the purpose was to make Bilam confess. However, he does say, Clearly, in the case of Adam and Cain and Bilam, it was to enter a conversation with him. And here in Bamidba, Rashi gives a completely different answer. To make him make a mistake. So how can we reconcile two comments of the same Rashi, he's the same person, but he gives two different explanations for why Hashem asked Bilam a question that Hashem knows the answer to. 
So on the sheet here is three different answers. I'm not going to go through them all. Um, but I'll just mention, first of all, uh, the Maharal. These are all comments that you can find in Bamidbar, in the Bilam story, Bamidbar, Kafbet, Pasuktep. So the Maharal says, basically, um, if you start from the second line of number eight, towards the end of the line, says the Maharal, it seems to me that you need both answers. You need both comments of Rashi. Because you can't explain at all that Hashem said to Bilam, who are these people, in order to make him make a mistake. And this is the answer to your question. Hashem does not make any creature make a mistake and do the wrong thing and do a bad thing. The Gemara says, Shabbos Kafdalat, that somebody who wants to matame themselves, in other words, who wants to do a bad thing, then potchimlo, Hashem opens and gives him an opportunity, aval ein messayelo, but you don't help him to do that. That is Hashem's middah in the world. That he does give us a chance to make our own mistakes. That's what free will is all about. But he doesn't encourage you to make a mistake. So then, I mean, that, that, that the Maral says, that's why you can't take the Rashi and Bamidbar at face value. It sounds like Rashi, that Hashem is deliberately trying to make Bilam do the wrong thing. That cannot be, says the Maral, because, because that cannot be, because that's not how Hashem operates in the world. So what he goes on to say is, and it's a little bit, or it's a little bit hard, at least I find it a little bit hard to understand, that because there are the two possibilities that either Hashem is coming to have a chat with him, or Hashem is coming to make him make a mistake, because there are over two possibilities, so Bilam assumes that Hashem is coming to have a chat with him, which opens the possibility for Hashem then leading Bilam in the wrong direction. So it's only because there are the two possibilities that, as Rashi says in Bamidbar, the result is that Bilam is tricked. That Bilam, tricked is the wrong word, but that Bilam is led into a mistake. Precisely because there's the alternative interpretation in Bilam's own mind that Hashem is having a chat with him. Perhaps an easier explanation to understand, and one that I quite like, is the Divrei David in number 13. The Divrei David is known as the Taz in his commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, but he also writes a commentary on Rashi. And if you look at the Divrei David in Bamidbar Kafbet Tet, he says like this in number 13. V'nir Ali, Shazer Omar, it seems to me that this one said, Nichnas Om Imobedavarim, Vadai Bakulhu Amrinon Kane. We say that, that he entered with him with words, which I say he had a chat. That applies to all the cases, all the three cases in the, uh, in the Rashi. Chizkiyahu uh, is different for reasons which will become clear in a minute. Amrinon Kane, we say in all those cases, Eila Shiesh Chiluk Batam Al Hakinas Al Hakanes Badavarim. But there are different reasons why Hashem wanted to enter into a conversation. So in all three cases, Adam, Kain, and Bilam, Hashem wants to enter a conversation. And that's what Rashi says in Bereshit. But there, why Hashem wants to enter into the conversation, there are different reasons. So in the situation where he's also going to bring a punishment at the same time, Kugon Adam Kain. And here, the David seems to identify Cain and Adam as identical, uh, not paying attention to the distinction we made before. But in the case of Adam and Cain, Hashem is going to bring a punishment very soon. The Chizkiyahu, 
Uh, and also, Hizkiah also gets a punishment. Although, the, the, point, the reason Hizkiah is different is because it's not Hashem directly speaking to him. It's a Navi. So the same question applies, but it's a slightly different situation. Anyway, Az hayahatam shalo yamar ha'onesh pitam. So in the case where he's going to give a punishment, Adam, Kain, and Chizkiyahu, then he doesn't want to give the punishment immediately. But he wants to have a conversation so that he can talk to the person about why they're going to get the punishment. And therefore he can, the word justify doesn't sound quite right, but he can explain the logic of Hashem's own judgment. So in the case of um, Adam Kain Chizkiyahu, he's going to punish them. He, Rashi says he doesn't want to punish them immediately because they'll get like, overwhelmed. And so he enters into a conversation for that purpose, so that he can like, get to the conversation about the punishment. And to say, You've done such and such, and therefore it's appropriate for you to get this punishment. Uh, and therefore you won't have an opportunity to answer back. But Bilam is a different case because there's no punishment. It's a whole different type of conversation. Hashem says, who are these people? Bilam says, they come from Balak. And then Bilam carries on on his merry, merry way. And the, there's the, the, the conversation, I suppose, is delayed until the donkey sees the angel. In a sense, that's the continuation of the conversation. But it's not that Hashem had a purpose in giving Hashem a nice introduction to the subject of Hashem's punishment because there's no punishment there. And therefore, lo ne'mar kan shum onesh, there's no mention of any punishment. Imkain lama nichnasim obedavarim. So why did he enter into a conversation? Eila bishvila hatot l'rasha ba. But he did, as Rashi says, in order to make that Russia make a mistake. And to publicize his downfall, his disgrace. So the simple answer, I mean, it's a straightforward answer. And it works, if you look carefully in the words, it works precisely. Rashi says in the Adam case that Hashem in all four cases wanted to enter, or sorry, three cases, wanted to enter into a conversation. And in Bilam, in Bamidbar, Rashi says that Hashem wanted to make him make a mistake. Says the Divrei David, it's the same thing. That's why in the case of Bilam, he wanted to enter into the conversation. Then, too, the purpose of that was to make him make a mistake. So the two Rashis don't contradict each other. They're just two halves of the same story. That's how the Divrei David explains. Let's move on to learn about Chizkiyahu. Do you have a question? You look like you're questioning. No, no, you're just, just thinking. Just thinking. thinking. It's that, that's the thinking look. Okay. Let's move on to talk about Chizkiyahu HaMelech. Now, Chizkiyahu was a good king. In a bad time, uh, the people before him, the people after him were pretty bad. And he's towards the end of Bayat Rishon. And in his time, Sancherev, who was the one who took away the northern kingdom and the ten tribes, comes to Yerushalayim. There's a miracle and he's not, uh, Sancherev is not victorious. And basically, the, uh, the southern kingdom of Yehuda has a couple more generations to go until also it is destroyed. We're at the tail end of Bayat Rishon. And things are starting to go bad, even though Chizkiyahu was basically a good, good king. A very good king. Anyway, Be'et Hahi says in number 14, this is Yeshaya Perak Lamatet, Posak Aleph. Be'et Hahi Shalach Mordach Baladan Ben Baladan, Melech Babel. 
So I won't repeat the name because it's too long, but the king of Bavel sent Sepharim, Umincha, El Chizkiyahu, scrolls and uh, gifts to Chizkiyahu, for Yishma, Ki Chala, for Yechezak, because he'd heard that Chizkiyahu had been ill and recovered. For Yismach, Alehem, Chizkiyahu, and Chizkiyahu was very happy. And here he does something which is not a good thing to do. Vayara'im et Beit Nachoto, and he showed them his house of treasure. Et hakesev, et hazahav, the silver and the gold, et basamim, the uh, spices, et hashemen, and the hatov, and the good oil, et kol beit kelav, and all the house of all his vessels, et kol hashen nimsab ba'otzorotav, and everything that was found in his treasuries, lo haya davar asher lo hereem chizgiyahu beveito. Uh, there was nothing that he didn't show them from all his house and all his realm. And this was not a good thing to do, to basically show off how much wealth he has, and it turned out to be a bad thing. So Isaiah the Navi came. What did those people say? And from where did they come to you? And and you can see from the commentaries that he's saying this in a proud way. Wow, I'm so important because these guys came from a long way away from Bava. So again, what's similar? Why does Rashi quote this example? Because, although it's not Hashem speaking, it's a Navi of Hashem asking a question which presumably Hashem would know the answer. Now, let's look at Rashi on Yeshiahu. Rashi number 15, on Yeshayu, Lamad Tet, Pasuk Gimel, on the words, Me'eretz Rochoka Bo Elai, Ze Echad Mishlosha Bnei Adam, Shabbat Kan Hamakom. This is one of three people whom Hashem tested. And who are the three? Kain, Vechizkiyahu, Ubilam. Those three. And then I don't think we need to see the rest of it, basically, because it goes on to sort of explain that. Chizkiyahu should have said, wow, you're a Navi, you must know the answer, and you're probably telling me that I've done something wrong. That's what Chizkiyahu should have said. Now, um, before I ask the obvious question, to make the question even stronger, let's look at Rashi's source. Now, Rashi, by the way, at the end of number 15, at the end of the, post, the, quote, the quote on Yeshahu Lamatet Gimel, he says, you can just see the last two words there on number 15, he says, you can find this in the Tanchuma. Now, it's not quite clear what he's referring to, because... I couldn't find it clearly in Tanchuma, but nor could anybody else that I checked. So it's not just me. Um, what you do find in Tanchuma Parsha Tazria uh, Siman Tet, which is there in number 16, is just the idea about speaking to um, Adam and engaging him in conversation rather than punishing him. But it doesn't mention any of the other cases. What Rashi's comment, what Rashi's source seems to be, is Bereshit Rabbah Yutet Yud Aleph, if you look at number 17. And you'll see why this is much closer to Rashi's source, and it's very similar to what Rashi's saying almost word for word in his comment on Yeshayahu. And here in number 17, so this is Midrash Rabbah, uh, Bereshit Yutet Yud Aleph, he says, on the words, Vayomeha Adam, he says to Adam, he says, Dalad, Hain, Shehikish HaKadosh Baruch Hu Al Kankanam. There were four people, and now the Midrash speaks metaphorically, whom Hashem knocked on their jug. What's the idea of knocking on a jug? Why does a merchant knock on the jug? To get an idea of what type, what's inside it, whether it's full or, or not full. Right? But he knocked on the jug, and he found that the jug was full of urine. Sorry for the expression. 
Adam, Now, I, I said, and believe me, that Rashi's comment in Yeshaya um, is, is pretty close to his source in Bereshit Rabbah, which is also his source for the whole idea. But notice there's a crucial difference between the way he quotes it in Yeshayahu and the original quote in Bereshit Rabbah. Now, apart from the urine reference, which is not explicit in the Rashi, maybe he wanted to save our sensibilities or maybe he thought it was not appropriate, not necessary to bring into his comment. What's the crucial difference? Adam is missing. Adam is missing. Very good. Rashi in Yeshayahu says there were three people whom Hashem tested and they didn't turn out to be, they didn't give the right answer. Cain and Bilam and Chizkiyahu. But the source said four. Why does Rashi miss out Adam? Any ideas? Well, I think we've already answered it. I think we've answered it in the Siftah Chomim and what we said. Because Adam cannot be compared to the other three. Because the other three gave the wrong answer. Cain was the worst. He said something completely not true. And Chizkiyahu and Bilam both took the opportunity, rather than say, oh gosh, you're giving me a great big hint, I'm on the wrong path. They said, look, I'm important that this king, identically in fact, Bilam and Chizkiyahu, this foreign king has sent messengers to me, I must be really important. So in all three cases, they gave the wrong answer. But Adam didn't. Now, as I say, in number 12, in Pasuk Bet, he made an excuse, and he shouldn't have done that, and that was really bad. But he did not deny the sin. And it's interesting, and I think this is what Rashi is telling us by this careful analysis, that Adam is not the same as the other three. The case is the same in the fact that Hashem entered into a conversation. And in that respect, it's parallel to the other three. But in terms of the judgment call, in the way that the Midrash says they're all not very nice, Rashi deliberately doesn't take exactly the same approach. He says three of them are not very nice because he sees Adam as, as qualitatively different in terms of his response. Okay, the last thing I want to see on this is, is there any other example in the Chumash of somebody entering into conversation when they already know the answer? Is there a case that Rashi himself even uses the same phrase? Did anyone download the sheet that I put on the <laughs> that I put on the WhatsApp link and would have seen for themselves the answer to this question, which is now laid out in front of you before your very eyes? Number 18. Bereshit Tet Zion Pasat Chet. You got up to 17. <laughs> okay, very good. So, Hagar. I have not. Hagar. We had Hagar last week as an interesting counterexample. Hagar runs away from Sarah. And Hagar's all a bit sad. And she meets a Malach. And in number 18, The Malach says to, Shif, to, to Hagar, Where are you coming from? And where are you going? And she says, I'm running away from Sarai, my mistress. And Rashi says, Again, we have the same problem. Why does the Malach, who is a messenger of Hashem, ask a question which Hashem obviously knows the answer? Because Hashem is omniscient. Rashi says, First we translates what that means. He knew. But he gave her an opening so that he could enter into a conversation with her. So why doesn't Rashi list that example 
in his original list about Adam. Why doesn't he quote that one? Because it's a classic example of Likanesi Marba Devarim. And the answer is she didn't do anything bad. There's nothing about Teshuvah here. She's not doing anything bad. It's also the case, by the way, I just noticed this. Right now, she gives the honest answer. She gives the correct answer, more correct than anyone. Even I'm saying Adam gives the correct answer, but with a little bit of a caveat. Hagar doesn't say anything wrong, but that makes sense because she's not being accused of anything. So it's a completely different matter. So Rashi's talking about the four cases where somebody should, was being given the chance to confess that they'd done something wrong. And as I keep saying, Adam is a bit different because basically he did confess, the other three did not. But in the case of Hagar, even though it's also an example of it doesn't need to be listed in the same category because there's no connection to teshuva or acknowledgement or vidui or anything like that. Okay. Yes. It seems weird that, like, Rashi says it's to end a conversation, and that's a conversation. Which one? Like, the word is, like, ayeka, and then that's it. And then, like, he doesn't, like, like, it's more like when he asks a question or when he enters a conversation, it's basically just attempting to make them reconsider their thoughts more than actually engaging in But rather than, well, as Rashi um, spells out, what was the alternative? He was going to say, you're punished. And that's what he didn't say. So any preamble before you're punished is what Rashi's talking about. Because really, Hashem wanted to say, he's done something terrible, this is going to be the consequence. That's the whole point. That's the way Rashi sees it. Um, that's the whole point. So why is there any sort of chit-chat before? Even a one-word chit-chat. Because it's not integral to the punishment, and that's Rashi's answer. Right? To, give, to have some preparation, some nice words, before you get to the main thing. Basic management technique. If you call someone into your office to give them bad news, find something nice to talk about first of all, and then give them the bad news, which they know is coming anyway, which doesn't always work. Yeah, I speak from experience. Okay, so I hope that is of interest. I also hope that demonstrates how far one can go in trying to understand what looks like a simple Rashi. But certainly in the case where Rashi quotes examples, and especially where he quotes three other parallel examples, it's worth looking at those examples, and it's always worth looking at what Rashi says on those places and compare and possibly contrast to what Rashi says here when he introduces those places. Okay, we can move on to Pasuk Yud Aleph, where Hashem continues to say, Vayomer, I'm sorry, Pasuk Yud, uh, I missed that because there's no Rashi on it, but we'll read it anyway. This is Adam's answer to the question of Ayeka. I'll just say again, I mean, it, to follow on from what Joshua said, this is Hashem talking to humanity after a catastrophe. And, sorry, it's Jacob. Said, yeah. It is, same first letter, um, same school. Um, this is... Same principle. Same, yeah, okay. <laughs> we get the idea. Same <laughs> We. This is... What was I going to say? Uh, <laughs> I completely forgot what I was going to say. Um, Something about humanity. Engaging in conversation. Rashi doesn't have a comment on this. No, forget it. No, bye. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sure it was a good thought. Okay. So, Hashem says one word, and the word is, Ayeka, where are you? Anyway, Vayomer, Pasuk Yud, Vayomer et kolacha shamati. I heard your voice begun in the garden. Ve'ira, and I was afraid. Ki erum anochi, because I was naked, va'echave, and I hid. As I say, Rashi's got nothing to say on that. 
פסוק יא, ויאמר, השם סד, מי הגיד לך כי ערום אתה? Who told you that you are naked? המין העץ אשר צוויתיך לבלתי אוכל ממנו? From that tree which I commanded you not to eat from it, אכלתה. You have eaten. Now in Hebrew it could be a question as in אכלתה? Or it could be a statement אכלתה. We'll see what Rashi has to say um, in a moment. But first of all, מי הגיד לך? Who told you? So says Rashi on that. מאין לך לדעת? From where did you know? מה בושת יש בעומד ערום? What shame there is in standing naked. Now just by the way, a little detail. Was he naked? He had a fig leaf. But perhaps, you know, as we often say, it's only a fig leaf. You know, when we use that phrase as an idiom, uh, I think we can conclude, and the commentators ask about this, it doesn't cover very much. Okay? So, you know, if you put a fig leaf in the place where Adam put his fig leaf, would you stand before the Prime Minister? Uh, probably not. No, so you probably wouldn't be uh, in a matter of indecent exposure, but you wouldn't feel very comfortable in such uh, limited clothing, being so scantily clad, let us say. So... That's the answer to, even though we do we know they made fig leaves, because the Pasuk says so, how he can still describe himself as a rum. So he means more or less naked. Now, why does Rashi say that Hashem says this rather sort of off-the-beaten-track question? Instead of saying, the simple Pasha is, who told you you were naked? So Rashi says, who told you that there's shame in being naked? It's quite a change. Why does Rashi make that change? Okay, so if anyone remembers what we learnt uh, two weeks ago, the answer is clear. Because, no, it was only even last week. Pasuk Zion. Why did Rashi give the metaphorical interpretation when he said, the eyes of the two were no, uh, opened, and I made the point that Rashi is, it's come out surprising before you work out the answer. They knew they were naked. Rashi says, doesn't mean they know they knew they were naked, but rather it means they knew that they had lost the one mitzvah. They were naked of merit. Why did Rashi say that? Rashi gave the answer. It's no big mystery. Because he said, even a blind person, even a blind person knows that they are naked. Doesn't take any wisdom, doesn't take any great knowledge to know that they were naked. So then it can't be Hashem says, who told you you were naked? Because we know there's no answer. We know that the answer to that would be, everyone knows that they're naked. Nobody told them. That's Rashi's principle. And therefore the question must be something else. So the question is not who literally told you you were erum, naked, but who told you that because you were naked, it's inappropriate to stand before God. And again, it fits actually... Not, with not too much difficulty, into the words of Adam, what he said in Pasuk Yud. I was afraid that I was naked and I hid before you, which can be understood as not I was afraid I was naked and that's a bad situation, but because I'm naked, I couldn't stand in your presence because I'm embarrassed, because I realize there's some embarrassment involved and that's why I hid. So again, it's not Adam saying, because I'm naked, full stop. It's Adam saying, because I'm naked and therefore I can't stand in front of you. And then Hashem comes And according to Rashi, says, who told you that because you were naked you couldn't stand in front of me? Who told you that nakedness requires some embarrassment? And that also fits with the line that Rashi's drawn all the way from 
where the Pasuk said, the two of them were naked, and Rashi made the point there that they didn't know that there was anything improper about being naked. And he says, because they hadn't eaten from the fruit and therefore the Yetzirah hadn't entered into them. And by the way, I, I suppose I should mention now, Rashi at no point says explicitly, I will now explain what the Eitzhadas was all about and I will explain this great mystery that the commentators and the philosophers wax so lyrically on. Rashi doesn't do that. He just says here and there enough for us to work it out. And it's quite simple. It's quite straightforward in Rashi's eyes. It's the Yetzirah that makes one aware of the impropriety of being naked, and even, he goes on to say, there again in, in Peret Bet Cafe, of having sexual relations out in public because they felt there was nothing improper about it. It's only the Yetzirah that, conveyed, that, 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 that conditions us to think about these things in a certain way. And until that time, they hadn't thought about them in that way. But the fact that they were naked is not what the tree gave them the awareness of because, as Rashi said in Pasuk Zion, even a blind person knows they're naked. So that's why Rashi says here in Yud Aleph that the question that Hashem is asking is not how did you know you were naked, but how did you know that being naked made it improper to stand before me? Then Rashi says something else on the words Hamin Ha'etz, from the tree. And Rashi says one word, which is the word bitmiah. And what does bitmiah mean? Students of the Gemara might be more familiar with this because it's a word that the Rashi in his parish of the Gemara uses from time to time. And it simply means um, question mark. It means this is to be understood as a question. That's what bitmiah means. Literally, it is uh, a wonder. But I think that's, that's too literal. It means it's a question. Because hamin ha'etz... Uh, I'll jump to the last word. Hamin ha'etz achalta can be read as you ate from the tree. Or can be read as did you eat from the tree? But by the way, Rashi's telling us it's the second. It's an interrogative. It's a question. But as is clear from the non-answer, it's a rhetorical question. It's not a question that Hashem is seeking an answer to. And we know that because he doesn't get an answer. Oh yes, I ate from the tree. So it's a way of saying, you ate from the tree, didn't you? So I'm combining Rashi's one word, bitmia, with the context of the conversation. So Rashi doesn't mean Hashem is demanding the answer. And by the way, that would then create the problem that we had in the previous passage. Why does Hashem ask a question which he doesn't know the answer? That's not what's going on. He's saying, and I think a good translation would be, you ate from the tree, didn't you? Okay. What's the function of the bitmia, though? Other than just like the statement, like why does Rashi assume that it's a question and not just a statement? Because, ah, uh, good question. I think because of what's coming next, because there's a response, but not an answer. Right. The, it's not an answer, yes, I ate from the tree. But there's a response, it's as if Hashem is saying, I need an explanation. And now comes the explanation. We've just got time to go through this next passage, because Rashi has all of three words, but they're an interesting three words. Passage you'd bet. What does Adam do? He blames the wife. Adam said, The woman whom you gave to Imadi uh, with me, she gave to me from the tree, and I ate. Now, what does Rashi say? Now, let's look carefully on the words on which Rashi is commenting. Kan kafar betova. Here, 
he denied the goodness, which is a idiomatic way that we would translate as saying he was ungrateful. What's the opposite of hakarasatov, which is gratitude? Is kafui tova, is denying the good. So says Rashi, here he denied the good. Now, just by the way, um, I once heard a vort, and I forget in whose name, I'm sorry, that the reason Rashi has to say this at this point is because this is the moment that he lost everything. Had he at that point said, you know what, you got me banged to rights, Gov, I did the wrong thing, then there would have been a chance for he to put everything right, because that's what Teshuvah does. But he didn't. Now, I keep saying, and, and that whole long analysis we went through before, when compared him to the other three cases, he does more or less confess. But he confesses with an excuse, and that's the excuse he's bringing up here. So I just heard that vort, which I will share, even though I don't think it's pshat, that um, Rashi is telling us that it was this lack of gratitude and this trying to pin the blame that made Adam lose it all. But as I said, I'm more interested in why does Rashi say this precisely? What is it that drives him in the Pasuk to say this? Now, first of all, we should point out that there's an alternative way of reading this. And that is the view of the Ramban and the Orachayim, that uh, Adam is making an excuse, but it's a different type of an excuse. That he's saying, look, she was the one who told me to eat. And after all, where did she come from? Where did Chava come from? Who gave me Chava? Hashem. And therefore, I had the right to assume that what she tells me to do must be a good thing. Because Hashem Atata Imodi, you gave her to me. She is, you know, the ultimate perfect wife. She's the Eza Konegdi that you gave to me. So that's why I did what she told me. And he's not saying I'm just a henpecked husband. He's saying I had a very good reason for doing what Chava told me. That's the way the Ramban reads it. Rashi reads it differently. And that's what he's telling us with the words kafar batova, kan kafar batova. Don't think he was justifying his actions. He wasn't. He's not justifying his actions, going to Rashi, but he's blaming someone else. And whom is he blaming? Whom is he blaming ultimately? Hashem. He's ultimately blaming Hashem. Because after all, Hashem gave him Chava. And why does Rashi have to say that? Because there's possibly three, but at least one word that Rashi is focusing on. I say possibly, possibly three, but at least one, and it's three that he's quoting as the Dibur HaMatchil. What are the three words? Asher Natata Imadi. Because the Pasuk would have read fine without them. If Adam's point is, it's all her fault, he could have said, Adam ha'isha natnali min The woman gave from the tree and I ate. So why does Adam add, Asher Natata Imadi? Says Rashi, he's blaming Hashem. He's saying, the woman whom you gave me, not like the Ramban said, which means I should have followed her, but it's all your fault. Don't blame me. Blame her and ultimately blame you because you are the one, Asher Natata. So in order to explain how Rashi understands that Adam is speaking, Rashi says, Kan Kafar Betova. Here, Adam was being ungrateful for the great goodness that Hashem had given him. Of course, giving him Chava was a great benefit. She was the Eza Konegdo, which just by the way, Rashi said, is a, is a duality there, remember? Eza, if, if he deserves it, Konegdo, if he doesn't deserve it. So uh, it's not good enough for Adam to say, well, it was her fault, because Adam should have remembered that sometimes she's going to give the right advice, and sometimes she's not necessarily going to direct him in the good path. Um, but anyway... 
So because there are those three extra words, Rashi wants to explain that those three words are serving to show that Adam is kafar betova, he is denying the goodness that Hashem has given him. And we will stop there, and Mitzvah Hashem will meet again next week.